0: Hello, everybody. We are honored today to have with us Mr. Seymour Hirsch. Now, this is a man of dignity and class and style and grace and information and that's very important to know about and read about. He just came out with this article, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. And if you click down below, you can read the whole article. Now, this is a Seymour Hirsch who gained recognition when he came out and exposed the terrible My Lai Massacre that happened in Vietnam. He's also the author of a number of great books. And he also is the guy, you know, that uh, one of his books is the, the Price of Power, Kissinger in the Nixon White House. And of course, he talks a lot about uh, Nixon as well in, in a number of his books. Uh, he, he, he's the top of the top, a real man, you know that that's uh, that grew up without uh what like these daddy's boys over here you know there's a man that worked his way up and knows what it is and what he said about journalism and the golden years are gone you know it's so true so here's here's mr seymour hirsch to tell you about the Nord stream pipeline who did it why where and when and much much more i'd like you to comment on this 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 is quoting you. You said that you you describe yourself as a reporter, quote, as a survivor of a golden age in journalism. You said it was a time when, quote, we did not have to compete with 24-hour news channels. Newspapers were awash with advertising revenue, and I was free to travel as much as I wanted. You went on to say you could reveal, quote, important and inconvenient truths. So that's a quote by you. Those days are gone, aren't they?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you got, I don't know. We're talking about, I joined the New York Times. Well, I did the mili stuff in 69, a year and a half after mili And had, even then I had a hell of a time getting it published, but I got it published. And it, people picked it up and they weren't afraid to touch it. And, um, uh, you know, I'll tell you something about that story. Guys like you that served in Vietnam that ended up going into let's say the intelligence community, you know, they were in the military and they went in and, 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 um, and let's say, um, uh, they were a generation and some of these people, you know, uh, stay on a long time. If you you retire and you you become an annuit, you're still in the job because you're very good at what you're doing. You care about it. I'm talking about deep inside. And so what it is, the guys that come to me or that I know are guys that saw firsthand what happened, didn't like it, uh, went through it and um, uh, they're guys that took the oath of office when they became higher ranking people. You know, you take an oath of office at, at higher levels, it's not to their boss or the colonel or the general or, or it's it's not even to the president, it's to the constitution. And those are the people I deal with. Uh-huh. That actually, and they look me out sometimes for the last 30, 40 years, I find people um, that have called me up and said, we better start talking because things are crazy here. But things were okay. The news business, I wrote maybe what 150, 200 stories for the New York Times without a source named, just said a source said. I wrote about the CIA going after Allende. I wrote about the CIA spying on American uh, civilians. Uh, I wrote about the CIA and the NSA trying to get a Russian submarine up, up from the bottom without, without naming a source. And into the paper it went because they knew me and they trusted me. And it's not that people don't know me and don't trust me. It's just that they don't want to hear it anymore. And I think Trump, CNN, NBC, and Fox, I felt it's been a pollutant because you're either like Fox or you're like the other side. And so there's no middle ground and they all hate each other. Um, And CNN and MSNBC, if they can't get something about Trump on every day, now they're doing something about that kid from... uh, the congressman who lied about everything—he's a good story too. So they do that. There's no news anymore. Yeah. And then the and when I was there, busting stories in the '70s, like on Vietnam and Watergate, in the afternoon, I I I'd, I'd go all day in a story, and I'm writing for the I'm writing for a daily newspaper. And sometimes I had a good story going, and the public relations people—there was just a couple people in the New York Times—would call up and say, "Oh, NBC or CBS wants to do it," and I said, "What are you talking about? Go on, new- read it in the paper." They don't have to go on television talk about something. The idea of doing it, and now the idea of doing a story and not going on CNN or SNBC, the, the, the yap about it, and now they're all getting paid probably more money from the, the cable companies than they do. And so you have a situation where cable comes in. They have no, no discernment. Something happens. they run It's called a crown. They run a little thing. Breaking news. <laughs> Nobody checks anything. Nobody looks at it. Nobody spends a week on a story or a month on a story. And so when I come up with something like this, I've obviously spent three, maybe more than that on it. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of time on that story. And, it, it, and it, if you read it, you can see it because I've got all this detail about meetings. It's I read so, it. I well, read you know, it. It's a Fish out of water. Yeah. And I've done more stories about it. You know, we use the Norwegians and I did another story for Subsec about how we use the Norwegians in undercover in North Vietnam. Norwegians and us have been together in COVID ops. It's not just new. We went to Norway. Norwegians, you know, we we they're very. They hate Russia. Uh, what worries me now is um, uh, hating Russia and hating Putin and not liking China uh, as is boxing us in. You know, how are you going to get out of this mess? <laughs> I'll tell you something. I do talk to people that see stuff, and I don't talk about. The, I don't care about day-to-day intelligence, but the chances of this Ukrainian army beating the Russians—whether you like Russia or don't like Russia—the I mean, Russians in, in in the Stalingrad. Everybody knows about Stalingrad. You know they lost 20, 000, 20 million people in World War II. That's a lot of a lot of soldiers. They were losing in the last four, three or four days of Stalingrad. They were losing every twenty, every forty, no, four, every four, forty-eight hours, four days. They were, every four hours, every day. Twenty-four hundred killed and wounded in the last couple of days, and they kept on going, and they beat, they beat the Nazis back, uh, and so you can understand. You maybe you don't have to understand it, but they're very tough, and the regular army hasn't gone in yet, you know. And unlike us, when we want more guns, when the president wants more, you know, wants that, you know, we put a hundred and thirteen billion dollars in there already. I know. And I will tell you, by fall, when he decided to blow up the stuff in the pipeline, I assuming some you'll introduce, introduce me and tell something about the story. By that time, there was pretty sure that best it was going to be a, 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 a standoff and a very expensive, killing a lot of people, a lot of money. And so and he was the whole point of blowing up the pipelines. I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand that. The whole point is. Uh, the Germans, after World War II, they spent, what, 10, 15 years trying to rape, murder, and mutilate, and bomb everything in Europe. They leaned over backwards to get back in good graces. The Germans are not interested in rearming. That will make the French go crazy. There was a lot of worry about the Germans being in, even in NATO back then, uh, You know, 50 years ago. And so the Germans don't, you know, they'll put some money in, but they don't want to go in all the way in Ukraine, particularly it doesn't look like a winner And NATO, a lot of a lot of the countries in NATO are saying we're going to fork up more money to these guys, you know. So they the White House was worried about it in the fall. They they learned it was going to be a tougher war than they thought. I'm sure they knew it before that, but I that's the best guess I can get for what he did. What he did, and so Biden gave the go, to blowing. We planted the bomb C four. We planted them earlier in May or June. Uh, the, the CIA and other groups did working with the Norwegians. We did what the president wanted. That's what they do for a living. And uh, uh, by fall, they thought, well, what's the reason of doing it anymore? They were initially assigned before Christmas of 2020, 2021, when Russia was building up on on the... remember they were building up in Belarus. I'm assuming your audience is... I'm assuming your audience is... I've been told it's a good audience. They, They read and think. So the Russians spent a long time showing their cards. And in December the White House or organized a meeting, a very top secret meeting. That's in my story. The uh, the A guy named um, uh, Sullivan, Jake Sullivan. Yep. Um, who's, oh, no more than two or three times over his head. But, you know, uh, at least two, maybe three. So Sullivan, uh, he was, worked for Hillary. He was your lawyer. And he worked for a guy named Joe Talbot, who's a friend of mine, but whose mission in life was to uh, uh, build up... Um, uh, NATO and and stick it to the Russians. Uh, nothing. Look, don't misunderstand me. Putin did an and what he did was wacko, starting a war, the f- most bloody war since World War II. You cannot respect him for that, but you can't say he didn't have some provocation. He made a deal in 1990 to let Germany the new Germany. The history is just—it's not unimportant. West Germany and East Germany merged. You know, we had a Cold War going. East Germany was in the Warsaw Pact, for God's sakes, and it was all over for the Russians in 89 and 90. Everything collapsed, their economy collapsed. And so they, they, West German, East Germany joined West Germany and the new Germany wanted to go into NATO. Gorbachev was then the boss of the Russians. And um, he said, you could do it, make a promise that you won't expand NATO to the east, to, you know, up to our borders. and th- Russia always considered Ukraine to be a subcultural. <laughs> it was just a big landmass that protected him from Western Europe that didn't like him. And I, I, just to give you an example, in 1932 there was a great famine. 22 million people in the Ukraine starved to death because wow. Stalin, Stalin took all the grain and moved it up up to, up to up to regular Russia. I mean, the treatment of the Ukrainians by the Russians has been horrible, and there's that factor too. But in any case. So suddenly' we're, we're in a war with Russia. NATO's in a war with a no end. and if NATO and America want more bombs, we have to go to contractors. We have to go to one of the big defense industries. We have to make a contract that has to have be lawyered, it has to be a, a kill fee, it has to be all this regulations, have to have investigators and, and and people inspecting the process. When Putin wants new arms, he controls the industry. He says, "You guys stop making what you're making and make me more bombs." He's got, you know, he's he's got total control of the industry. We did that in World War II. Remember, the 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 the, the woman, all the women who went to work and they were per- turning out one ship a week. Remember that? an yeah. airplane after airplane.
0: Rosie the Riveter.
1: Rosie the Riveter. You remember that?
0: <laughs> well, we that song. for <laughs> my time. On. We're gonna take a break now. We've got a lot more going on, and this is why you subscribe to the Trends Journal.
1: At the Trends Journal, the best investment you could make because it's the best investment into your mind and you can change how you look at the world. Over
0: the last 30 years, Joe Cilante has been more accurate about predicting what would be happening than anyone else I'm aware of. The Trends Journal is one of the greatest sources of information, and it's, uh, and it really is. You're predicting these things well ahead of time. I would encourage everyone to go grab the latest copy. But a uh,
1: Trends uh, Journal subscriber for 20 years, I just have to commend you. What you guys have put together in your latest Trends Journal, there's nothing like this out there. Sir, everything that you
0: predicted about the economy, you're absolutely right.
1: Thirty thirty five. Then it could really drop.
0: Trends Journal, which I would encourage people to go and check out. It's actually a two
1: hundred page document, pure data driven analysis. Gerald Salente, the top trends forecaster in the world. Gerald, you had an interesting call back in September of last year. You said gold had bottomed, which is exactly what happened. And here we are, and we're above nineteen hundred dollars.
0: Subscribe to the Trends Journal. Read history before it happened at Trends Journal.
1: I had a, a, my wife's uncle flew, um, flew B-17s, 38 missions, two, he went, enlisted he, 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 after 25 you could go home, the death rate was flying over Germany in daytime bombing, we didn't have, they had air cover up to the border of Germany, <laughs> and then, this, I'm not kidding, no air cover, and then they got the, the, they were Navy planes, and they didn't have enough fuel to go into Germany. So, when, when you flew the B 17, so north of London, uh, you had a 10% loss rate. Wow. Uh, I, I got to tell you, the guys who did World War II uh, 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 just didn't talk about it. Uh, you know, Ben Bradley, who was the editor of the Washington Post for years, was a friend of mine, even though I was at the New York Times, played a lot of tennis with them. Good guy, had four years there, just didn't talk about it as an officer in the South Pacific. Just, there was nothing to be said. You know, kamikaze were coming every day, you know must have been an absolute nightmare. But these guys, um, they lost 10%. And every week, four or five more B-17s with young kids that barely knew how to fly would land, come in from America, be ferried in. And it just every week, more and more planes. Uh, One night, my uncle got drunk with my wife's uncle. He was my uncle, too. I knew him many years. Norman was his name. One night, he got drunk with me really badly. And he told me what he never talked about. After a little while, you didn't even make friends over breakfast because you were going to go out and fly that day, and you didn't know who would come back. So you wow. didn't make friends. He chased the girls in the community; he's a, a very handsome guy, so he was all right with that. But you didn't make friends, and when you had, and the rotation for the Eighth Air Force rotated, and um, in other words, Eighth Air, Air five hundred planes would be going on daytime attacks, and everyone twice in those forty-three missions, he was the lead guy. Which meant that he's he he's he's got he's over the target. He's got to be over the target. He's got to stay. And every Messerschmitt and every Akak is on the lead plane, so they know they're going to get hit, and they go in. And the door gunners load up so much, so much, so much guns, so many, sh- you know, sh- so many sh- <laughs> ribbons of, of guns, b big, heavy guns. They, that plane can almost not get off. And as soon as the cover. Um, uh, Uh, left them I don't know, not France they were flying north of it, but anyway, as soon as they lost the cover and they crossed the border from Belgium into Germany they lost their cover, there's the Messerschmitts and so the door gunners when the first wave came would start it's about 15 minutes to target they had enough, they would shoot for 15 minutes straight, and if another B-17 happened to somehow end up in their line of sights it was shot down, they would just shoot and you get over target And you'd be riddled. You'd come home with at least one engine out and uh, holes in the plane, the rescue crews. It was just amazing to do it. And Anybody that knew anything about war, like the military's guys do, the generals may like it, but I got to tell you, the guys who fight it, they're not interested in another war. Certainly not with Russia. But I don't know where we're going with this stuff.
0: Well, you know, uh, going back to what you said, you know, we published a magazine, the Trends Journal. This is from 2014 when the United States launched the coup to overthrow the democratically elected government, of Viktor Yanukovych. And the article was written by um, Paul Craig Roberts, you know, former mm-hmm. assistant treasury secretary under mm-hmm. Reagan. Washington is driving the world to the final war. He goes on to say, uh, Washington concluded that Russia needed to be confronted with or distracted by problems that would leave the Russian government less confident or able to counter Washington's aggression elsewhere. Ukraine presented the perfect opportunity for Washington to advance its hegemonic agenda in a speech at the National Press Club last December, which was December 2013, and I remember watching it. Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland boasted that Washington had invested $5 billion in non-governmental organizations, NGOs in Ukraine for the purpose to, quote, teach democracy.
1: And also, so it
0: was the United States coup that people have no idea about. And, t- yeah, and, 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 and you, you
1: mentioned the maiden coup in 214, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, the deal with Gorbachev and, and uh, uh, was with... Jim Baker, Cor- Baker. Jim Baker did it. Yeah, it, NATO would not move, quote, one inch further. Yeah. And it was 16, now there were 30. And And, in reading your article, and I read the whole the whole article and underlined set what I thought of salient points, you know the the bottom line, the the reason why they're saying that it's not credible is because it's an anonymous source. And in the beginning, you said that they used to use, they all use anonymous sources. But when they use an anonymous source, it's legit. No, but when we- you put out this information in detail it's, it's, it's discouraged. It's, it's not, now. it's not accurate.
1: I'll tell you what I consider, what they, when I woke for the time, I really had sources. Now I think the, the anonymous sources are the, you know, a press secretary for the, for the president or one of the cabinet members who whispers to them. And, you know, after a briefing come, we'll give you a better feel. (laughs) When I got to New York times, I went to New York times in 72. I actually, because the Times then was a straight paper. It was, it was good on the war from Vietnam. David Halperstam, those names, Neil Sheehan, uh, a guy named Homer Bigger, wonderful reporting, but in Washington, the Times always was always president focused a little bit, much more. And so they, I went, I, I did the Mili stuff and uh, I couldn't get hired by a newspaper because i never, I'd been an AP. I've been an AP, uh, Associated Press Correspondent. Uh, I covered the war from the Pentagon for a couple of years, which was I learned how to hate the Vietnam War. From officers who told me what was going on, and GIs. In any case, so I I, uh, I could get a job even after doing. I went, you know. And, and let me tell you something about my country. This isn't about not liking America. Oh. Uh, I, my parents were immigrants. They came to this country not knowing English. My father had to, by by the time I uh, by the time I was six or seven, my father was running a small laundry and cleaning store in the ghetto, the black ghetto in Chicago. And from the age of 13 on, I worked there. He got cancer at 15 and died a very bad death two years later, but I took over running the store. And I learned a couple of things from that. Um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I was always, uh, always a, a, uh, like sports. And on, on Sundays, when in Chicago in the 50s, early 50s, when this happened, I was born in 37. So this was in 52, 53. Uh, on Sundays, every other Sunday, the White Sox left Comiskey Park. And played their games in other stadiums. And every other Sunday, the Negro League played. This is right after World War II. And when I was working for my dad, and the, there were a couple of guys who worked for my dad, pressing pants for 12 cents a pair. And we they take me to ball games on Sunday because you know I was I was I always played ball. Um the best ball I played was in the army, actually. But anyway, um, and so um um uh so I got to know that because my skin was different, I was gonna have a better life than they did. I mean they knew it too. I learned that when I was 14, 15. So I was always sensitive. And you have to understand, uh, when you have a war against a minority, like we did in Vietnam and like you know, not in the Ukraine, not against Russia, but when we had wars like we did uh, you know, in, in in the famous war in Grenada, <laughs> um, it's racial. It turns out to be racial for the kids doing it. Because that that's the only way they can cope. You know, it's it's just they anyway, and so I I I grew up and I worked part-time. And when I graduate, I, I got a sc- I got a Ryder school. Uh Chicago was a smart kid. And and um I finally we sold everything. My my mother finally moved to California. I have a brother too who took care of her. I, I had I had her for four years, and then my brother had her, had to take care of my mom. had older sisters who were married and split as soon as they could. And so um I came I came up not from the Harvard Crimson or the Yale Daily News. I come up from a kid from nowhere. If you remember John Artunis, his wonderful books, The Kid from Tomskinville about a kid who played center field as a nineteen year old rookie for the Dodgers. Anyway, I came up and here I in sixty nine, I'm sticking two fingers in the eye of a president, Nixon, newly elected, right? Right in his eye. And am I and I am I in the gulag for it? No. I'm I'm fame, fortune, and glory. I want every prize, pull surprise, all this stuff. And so, I'm not knocking America. I'm just knocking these guys' version of America because that's the, not the right America. Oh and look, I, 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 I agree. Yeah, I, I, why didn't why why isn't anybody your office sent me that article? When you're done, um, have somebody send me an email, and I'll give you my my my. Just make a PDF of those pages. I want to read that stuff. Yeah, I knew I knew who he was. The guy who wrote. Well, look it, I, at the just to
0: show you some of the articles we've been writing in the in the magazine. This is the cover. I don't. We we sent it to you. That's after your article came out. You know who blew up the the Nord Stream pipeline. We will bring an end to it. I promise you. We quoted Biden back in in September. These, these are just some of the articles, one after another. We uh, we've been you writing.
1: Know, you know, so, it's yeah. so interesting you say that because. Um, nobody's asked that question yet of the president in a news conference and four days they it blew up on the 26th. And I, I, I think that, look, I'm not in Joe's mind. And, um, Well, uh,
0: if you're not in Joe's mind. You'd be out of your mind. If you were in
1: Joe's mind. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean by that. I I don't know. I know. He, I know what his deputies do. I know what Blinken and Newland and Sullivan know They, they, you know, uh, I'm, they applauded the overthrow of the government and yep. the May overthrow in 2014. They orchestrated it. We know all that. Yep. And we know they're dead set. And we had a secretary of state, Blinken, go to China after delaying because of a balloon. <laughs> it delayed visiting China because of a balloon. You know, an F-22 shut it down.
0: Yeah, it I know. A, we wrote uh,
1: about it. it. Yep. A- oh, a- a- like a- $400 million dollars or something. To do. You know what the pilot did? There you the go. That's the cover. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> pop was the weasel you guys are wild man yeah. uh, uh, so who reads you <laughs> what's your circulation
0: oh no we have it. it's an international magazine you know one day at one time i used to be on oprah the today show good morning america i used to be on everybody and i uh, have best-selling books trends 2000 trend tracking and uh, i got they, they I know that they, i didn't know that yeah they 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 blacklisted me when i said what would happen with the afghan war and <laughs> You know, we, you know, you know, you said you're from the South, you know, South Chicago, by the way, I lived in Chicago for seven years. Where, back
1: in where, depends on where, buddy. Well, yeah. I was
0: up in Evanston, but I worked oh, in the city.
1: come on. All right. All right. I'm just
0: saying. But hey, but I'm a Napolitano that grew up in the Bronx.
1: I grew up in 47th Street in the South Side. Yeah, it's a whole different a trip. school. We played against uh, uh, the, the Catholic school two blocks away. We played on every sport against them. And it was always bloody you know we were I'm talking about we played touch football tackle football with no equipment and we played it. basketball with elbows in the mouth every time you went up and it was just it was really Chicago's very gritty it's a great and by the way Chicago's become I hate to say it I'm daily started it I mean it's become an amazing city and uh it's got all these racial problems but they at least they look at them and it's got that lakefront that they did a spectacular job on but you know um uh but they're losing it on, on, on the shooting stuff, aren't they?
0: Yeah. But anyway, I, so when you talk about how you grew up, I, I, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, you know, we, we social climbed to Yonkers later on. Oh,
1: that's a big jump. man.
0: (laughs) But, you know, so I understand what you say, because, you know, we didn't, you know, our daddies, you know, like these other guys, we were not born on third base, you know? And so we have a different passion of life because we're fighters and, and we had to fight our way up to get where we are. As I say, it's Harvard, Princeton, Yale, bullets, bombs, and banks. You know, as George, George Collins said, it's one big club and you ain't in it. And, and that's the club in control. So when you say this isn't about not liking America, it's about our loss of the America that we used to love
1: so much. Well, it's there. It's still there. But um, uh, it's, it's, um, it's funny you mentioned George Collins because he should be required viewing although he's he he offends a lot of people <laughs> you know he he does a thing on the church that that does that that doesn't help anything but anyway he was he was a genius i it, it, and I, I look i i was in you know for for two bucks the cover a buck cover i could go, you could go listen to uh uh the best jazz in the in, in the world you know miles davis and uh miles, you know and and uh, for there was a place called on 46th street you could go hear the be- i'm serious you could hear Everybody, Candido, and and you could also go listen to Lenny Bruce, you know, talk about you know how God is merchandising, you know what's for sale this week, and you know for for you know for for all the, all the priests to push. It was just awful but funny, and he of course was cocaine, coked up anyway. And you also could get anything you wanted back then. We called it Mary Jane. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I covered police in Chicago. As a kid for the city news bureau, which is the old old crime business. And you learn all the cops. There was two things they would do, you know, but I worked night shifts and, you know, they would come in and some of it would be pretty nice. If they had a little extra stuff, they caught some jolt, some dope, but they throw a bag at us. And they used to always give us the eight millimeter porn movies. We could watch those on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is back in the 60s, 61. And so when you do that, the only thing you couldn't do in Chicago is you couldn't report on crooked cops, of which there were plenty, and you couldn't report about of the cops and their deals with the G and mob on West Street, the big play street. So I learned early on, it was a tyranny, really. I mean, I, I you know, I learned about censorship right away as a kid reporter. You couldn't do it if some guy if the the cop station up in the in the near north side of Chicago, where where all the bars were and the play places were. If some guy they reported some guy that had eleven bullet holes in him as a as a traffic accident, you know, forget about it. You can't go and say, "What do you mean, traffic accident?" That was a mob hit. <laughs> I grew up in that world too. Yeah. I mean, I knew about the mob. Yeah. I ended up one of the things I did for the New York Times after the war was over. Do a, I did a six months with a wonderful reporter named Jeff Girth um, uh, on uh, a guy named Sidney Korshak They ran the mob in Chicago, and his um, and that was about as much fun as uh, uh, putting your head in a foxhole or being a, climbing into it. I got more death threats. But, you know, <laughs> this stuff doesn't compare to what growing up in Chicago trained you to not worry about what the New York Times and Washington Post thinks about my stories. And that's what makes Substack so interesting. I didn't know about it. A, a, a terrific journalist, a, old-time friend of mine, Matt Taibbi, Who's doing oh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, I Mom, followed him. Uh, he said, You can publish here, you'll be fine. P- a lot of people read it, and so it's an alternative form. But getting back to the real story, what is the end game, and um, um, and why did he do the pipeline? Uh, uh he did it in September 26th. And the guys, you should know, the guys who were assigned to do it they were assigned in this first audit. Two months before the war began, in, in, in 2021, uh, Jake Sullivan, has, as president's president, as national security advisor, con- convene a meeting of, um, in, a, in a very secure place in the uh, executive office building, which is in the same compound. It's just across the street from the White House, but it's still covered by walls and fences and guards. And they have a, a, a very secure reading room. He convened a meeting with guys in the NSA, CIA, um, the Pentagon, the Nationals, actually the the Joint Chiefs, uh, the Treasury and State Department, not that many, and the, they were asked the question, you know, we need options, we need something that we want to stop the Russians. What can we do to make the Russians not go? Because you know that would be hell, uh, go into Ukraine. There, you know, despite all the talk, there was a lot of worry about that, and you know, you don't mess around with the Russian army. Yep, nope. uh, and and so. And I used the word in the phrase. I used was actually the work of art uh, in the meeting. The question they asked the White House: Do you want reversible or irreversible options? We're talking about before Christmas, before New Year's, and the word came back: Well, reverse, irreversible, reversible would be sanctions. You know, uh, uh, ask ask the, the Cubans about sanctions. They've been sanctions since sixty since yeah. sixty <laughs> one. And the same. Look how look how the sanctions didn't work on Russia. We put on that the Putin Biden administration put on. Russia's still going. There's still American companies there. Not everyone left, and so they don't have McDonald's. They something not as good. They still (laughs) line line up for it. And the irreversible turned out to be, let's go after the pipeline. And you have to understand, as I didn't realize how important this is. I'm going to write more. I've been writing more on Substack. I'm writing every week on this because it's fun. And, um, And by the way. I use the same editors I used uh, at the New Yorker and the London Review and the same fact checkers. You know, it's out of my pocket instead, but there's no, you know, I'm my own producer. Oh,
0: great. And
1: and what happens is there's a long history of America after containment, you know, after World War II, we had to contain communism, even as, as long as the Kennedy administration about worrying about Russian natural gas and oil. Russia had the lock on that stuff all over. When you start going towards Siberia, there's nothing but stuff underground. And the worry was they had, they were going to use their gas and sell it to Germany, which was trying to become an industrial complex after the war, after the destruction of the war, and be a good neighbor. That's the other. It was, it was called us politic. The, what Willy Brandt started this idea of telling, telling the people he had raped and murdered and destroyed, I'm going to be a good buddy to you. I'm the French you know, I know you hate me, but I'm gonna be a, a, an industrial powerhouse. I'm gonna trade with you at good terms. I'm gonna make you guys realize we're really a solid country. And they are the Germans are incredibly competent. And they were getting gas and oil from, from Russia early. And we always worried about it. You know, that's Germany's part of it. Gonna was we always thought eventually West Europe, West Europe, West Europe would accept Germany at some point. NATO's a force, and these countries. The oil and gas was so oil, the gas was so cheap. Russia had more than they could use, and they were downstreaming it to other other the companies, the distributors all over Europe. So here's a, a Fortress America. We built this, we built up Western Europe after the war, but they have no natural, they have no oil and gas in Western Europe. And we the idea that Russian had an inroad was always a problem. It's not a new idea. It's been going on forever and ever. I'm writing about that next week. It's always been an idea. It's always been in the theme. It's always been a theme in the Congress that we. Ha- and so here, Biden finally bit the bullet. You know, here they built Nord Stream one of these pipelines. The first one came on in 2011, and it was a gold mine for for the Germans. Just a gold mine. The largest chemical company in the world, BASF, hundred thousand employees was just making a fortune. Uh, they own and and by the way, it's now de- you know it's, it's it had a, it had its first layoff ever. And it's also talking to the Chinese about maybe movies some facilities there. They're not hurt that bad, Germany, because they're subsidizing gas, the, gas, the oil price and the price of electricity. Uh, the French are paying five, 500 times more, five times more.
0: The um, the numbers just came out for energy increase in Germany uh, this last month. It went up
1: 19.1%. Of increase of, of available yeah. or the, the price? Energy prices went up 19.1%. Oh, I didn't see that. I know before that they kept just the kilowatt. came out today. Well, it, it's because it's colder now. They had a very mild winter. Remember, we saw the pictures of no ski, no ski. No, they had a mild whimper, winter, and also um, um, they at, under pressure from us, um, we w- the Germans had shut down the new pipeline. It was for the uh, Nord Stream Two was brand new when it was done by twenty twenty, and they filled it with gas, seven hundred fifty miles full of gas. That's what that's what went up when they bombed it, but. Um, Schultz, Schultz, the chancellor, was had the power. He had shut it down. He had the power to open it. And so I think Biden thought, I don't know. I'm just giving you a good guess. It's not only my guess. The community has had this assessment, too, that he he saw a stalemate coming. He saw winter coming. He thought it never be if it was a bad winter. And if the stalemate, lo- you know, Germany wasn't interested in putting a lot of money in for war. That's, they, had, they learned a lesson in World War II the militarization has always been a sore spot there. There's a lot of opposition to it. A lot of people want them to build up the army, but there's opposition. 50, uh, anywhere, t- depending on your count, the police said last weekend there was a demonstration against the, the right. Ukraine war. And the police said 15,000 or 13,000. The newspaper people who were there, some of them, and the organizers said 50,000. It was a huge crowd anyway against the war. And remember, like we had that started here against the war in Vietnam. There's a lot of analogies to it. And just to go on with the story, so I think what Biden did by telling Schultz, taking the option of opening up the gas line and maybe taking gas from Russia and maybe not giving as much support to Ukraine, particularly as it looked like it was going to go south, which it will be. Don't worry about what you read in the newspapers because they have, the New York, their coverage has just been some of it is very good the new york times has a lot of great reporters but the coverage on iraq has been comical comical it's not yep. i can't tell many people have signed up for a substack with me and send me letters you can do it my email is there and said thank god we finally got somebody who might tell us the truth they smell it it's not good it's too pro pro the white house and 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 congress which has always been and you know uh always anti-communist and um and um uh, uh, Congress, you know, uh, I don't expect in, in the Vietnam War, the Democrats in Congress were against the war. And the War Powers Act was 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 written and supported by five or six, seven, eight moderate liberal Republicans. In fact, they wrote the document, they wrote the first first treaty. A guy named Bill Miller that worked for the senator from Kentucky, uh, John Sherman Cooper, they drafted it. I mean, Republicans then, the moderate Republicans were against the war. Now they're blank. Chuck Sumer's going to ask for an investigation into the pipeline bombing because of the implications for Europe the implications are we've always had Europe's back we no longer the Europeans the Germans and the Europeans and and certainly NATO know some countries know that we don't have their back anymore that he chose the war over them cutting the act of it's really If I were look, I had a lot of contact with people in the Bundestag, their parliament. I don't do politics. I never testified. I didn't talk to anybody from that. But I will tell you, there's a lot more concern about Biden cutting off their ability to be have cheap run their industries and stay warm. You cook that option away for them, and the consequences of that, uh, it's you know, will be seen, particularly next year if it's a cold winter, because they don't have the storage anymore. They had a lot of stuff stored for this winter. All right. I'm done with my soliloquy.
0: Well, you know, I just want to comment on some of the things you were talking about. On the rally in Munich, Schultz came out against it before it happened. And the media also, they called it a niche rally and made fun of it because, quote, there were right wing people there. So it depends on, you know, if you're anti-war, you just can't be anti-war. It's because you believe in something else. They don't like you. And number two, there are what 84 million people in Germany. Some 50 million turned out. We had a rally in D.C. War against the rage. Oh,
1: fifty thousand.
0: Fifty thousand. Excuse me. Uh, uh, rage against the war machine on February 19th, and I was one of the speakers there. And only about two to four thousand people showed up. This is at the Lincoln Memorial, and it was brought to you by the Libertarian Party, the People's Party top people were there, Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, myself, you know, a whole crew. And I'm just saying peace isn't a part of America anymore in in the spirit of the country. And you're old enough to remember, too, the protests were going on in Vietnam because there was the draft.
1: And You know, know, there's no draft anymore. Nobody cares. I'll tell you something else. I think that's a factor. But I've also learned in the last couple of years... um, from Vietnam veterans against the war and other publications, there was much more dissent inside the army in the war. I knew there was a lot, but there was a hell of a lot more than I thought. I mean, it went it, we even went to the aircraft carriers. There was a lot of problems that the army had, but you know, that's their job to the fight a war, whether it's popular or unpopular. I don't know what to tell you, my pal. I don't know what to tell you. Um, uh, I worry about. Um, I but I, I, I look uh, again, getting back to the newspapers after Trump, which was very scary for a lot of people, because he was, you know, he was, you know, you know, he was, he was, uh, uh, there were some things about him were sort of interesting, I must confess. Uh, but but basically, you know, he did the wrong thing on the election. He did the wrong thing. And he absolutely did. You can't, there's no excuse for what he did. And there's no excuse for some of his policies because they were sort of irrational Um, very much. I, I was not a supporter of him in any way whatsoever. But having said that, um, uh, the newspapers seem to think, okay, Biden was not Trump, so that's why he won. But they've got to get tougher on Biden. They're just not tough enough on him.
0: You know what I call them? I call the media prostitutes. Media whores that get paid to put out by their corporate pimps and their government whore masters.
1: Well, but the media right now... I'm like- just
0: saying what the media is now. Oh, they <laughs> just brought Saki into, into MSNBC? Oh, where did she come from? Or where that guy Stefanopoulos come from? I mean, right. one after another.
1: I don't like the ex-CIA and and FBI guys that are being paid to go up there. Yeah, but I will tell you a funny story. I got to go, and you got you. I, we can't. We could go on for three weeks, you and I. <laughs> you know, over over. And but you know, who would drink the most beer or whatever scotch I like? But we have a steak and a beer. Next time you come to town, I'll All let right. you. I, and we'll I, I,
0: I, I'm Italian. I drink wine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i only buy good italian wines but you know that you can find great italian wines on the it really it's amazing the stuff there um my my wife's one of her brothers is married to an italian woman and so we go we not because of COVID, we used to go we used to go up to um um uh, up to um uh up to park paradiso to hike in summer uh, up up above and way up right below the uh, tunnel of france the great park the, wow. the there's beautiful national parks in italy to go, just go, you go up there, and you I mean, just fun. I, mean, I hated it. But it's I hate hiking. But it's sure it's beautiful. Your country's beautiful. Your ex, ex country. Yeah. But I'll tell you a story about reporters that always knocks me out. So Biden flies. Uh, by the way, Biden flies to to see Zelensky. And when he gets into Poland, the newspapers all write about it. The Air Force One, I assume it's Air Force One, I, I, they didn't say it, his plane, they turned off his transponder, his IFF, which has to be, you know, that's the way other, other planes identify you. And uh, one of the things that's ironic about it is there's some of these people who believe in op- open air in, in uh, intelligence. They uh, The criticism for me, you know, they monitor signals. No plane. Did what I said they did, drop a sonar to trigger the bombs at three o'clock. I had whatever. No plane was there. And of course, all you have to do is turn off the transponder, as the president did. And you can't be seen by the, the OSIN guy. But I, I, it's an argument you don't even make with them. They're so, so committed to what they see. And they don't see pictures. They see electronic stuff. Turns off the thing. And then he lands. And then he takes a walk with Zelensky in Kiev. And oh, my God, for the first time in 10 days, the air, air raid sirens go off. This brave guy, they haven't gone off since, and not one reporter has bothered to go and ask the. I did, and of course it was prearranged. Yeah. What do you think? You know, I worked. I worked when, when the Vietnam War was on, and I was after I I was, I was I. I was I wasn't fired by the AP, but I worked. Um, I did two years covering the Pentagon, and I, be, I got into the guys that didn't like the war. And I began to write about all the bombing that was going on. This is before the days of satellites. So we didn't know what was going on. And we just took the, the White House's word. And so the line, so I McNamara was always over the head of the AP, you know, a perfectly nice guy named Gallagher. But Eventually they, they pulled me out and they reassigned me to health and service, health, something like that. And I, I, I was a mess. I quit <laughs> anyway. And so, and by the way, I, I left a, a good job at the, uh, at the New York Times. After seven wonderful years, I started writing about corporations. Much easier to write about war and up than corporations. And then at the New Yorker, I I was doing fine there until, I don't know, the politics of, I don't know, whatever the reasons are. They, they had nothing to do with reporting. I left that. And one of the things is for somebody like me, I've said this once before to somebody is, I'm the, I'm gonna, <laughs> nobody wants me really, because I walk into an editor's desk with a rat full of lice and I plop it down on this desk. And I say, here's my next project. And it may cost you 50 or a hundred thousand. I'm gonna take off tomorrow and fly business class anywhere. And I'm gonna go and, and maybe a 40% che- two out of five cat connect. And when I do connect, you're gonna have to have extra fact checkers on it because it's gonna be a tough story to check. And then you're gonna have to have the lawyers understand, your lawyers, that you're gonna get four or five thefts from law firms. And and so, and then you're gonna lose readers. So is it a wonder when I left it, I left after they shoved me into another job that when I left there was everybody go. And at the New York Times, when I started getting bitching about coverage of corporations, it was get out of here. And at at the AP, at the New Yorker, I was very tough on a bunch of Obama stories. Obama didn't. T- Obama, you know, Obama was just a pal looking for re-election. Uh, I'm I'm very down on Obama. I think
0: look, I, I, we, I called Obama out at the very beginning. Uh, again, I call him the Nobel Peace of crap prize winner. Well, I was. You know, worried. They, look what he did to Libya. Look what he did to Syria. I want that guy Assad out of there. You go up, up around the mob. I want that guy Gaddafi out of there. I mean, come on. Well, look at that.
1: For me, it was really simple. This two days into the presidency, he signed an executive order to, to close Guantanamo. Yeah, and Guantanamo, the Reg the Bush-Cheney White House had somebody from the CIA. After two months there, but there was so many worry about the this madness that was going on, the torture of prisoners, RNR. They were mandated by the Red Cross in Asia one hour and hour of of uh, for prisoners one hour a day, and so they would put people in a straitjacket. And throw them out into a, a, a little square, grassy area in 110 degrees for an hour. That was the R and I mean, I learned stuff very early about it, and and so when he said I was going to close it, and he didn't do it, I that yeah. was. For me.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I began without going into it. I began my career running political campaigns in Westchester County. I was the assistant to the secretary of the New York State Senate at 26 years old. I got on the inside, you know, very quickly. And and I've been with presidents, prime ministers, and princes in my lifetime. And to me, you know, the people running politics, these are the people I hated in high school and college and wanted to be class president. How could anybody with a pair of cojones bigger than a mothball look up to a Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, a little Chucky Schumer? Look at the little clowns telling us what to do. I mean, look at these little jerks that tell us what to do with their arrogant attitude. You know, I just want to make one point about your, your article, by the way. You know, one thing that wasn't mentioned is that, and maybe I missed it, energy, this is, a, this is from Business Insider on August 13th, 2022. Energy traders are making a killing exporting U.S. natural gas to Europe as prices soar with some single shipments bringing in $200 million. Right. That chart like shows you the increase of America's exports going to Europe following the, um, the, the sanctions and then the bombing.
1: Well, that wasn't my story, but I do know something about it because Germany has been building LNG, LNG, they call it, um, right. facilities, But they're not coming as, as fast as they think uh, as a, as a way of storing gas. And we were charging, I think three and four times more. Uh, that's American, you know, that's, that's that's the American way is capitalism, but they also got what kept them going a little bit, made a little easier for them uh, uh, after the after the pipeline was blown up this fall and winter. The China had a bad year because of COVID and they yeah. had a, a lot of LNG and they sold the LNG cheaper. But um, and uh, uh, um, uh, I, I watched the uh, in, I watched some of those, the journal you mentioned. I know that some of the people in there, they have some, probably the best reporting on energy that you want to get is in that you know, energy. It's an amazing group. There's a wonderful woman. I used to be the editor there. They're very confident. Um, but um, my story wasn't that. My story was no, about don't. what to do. But I but am going to do. Saying, but could that have been another reason? Watch this, watch this face. I'm gonna, I, I know what you're talking about. And by the way, um, I want you to send get a link to that article you sent. Okay. and um, and i uh, and i have not blown my eye. i have got a terrible head cold all right i got to tell you something. nobody has a old fashioned cold anymore it's either okay. cold or the flu <laughs> i got a i got you know i just got a cold like like i used to get when i was a kid yeah. and you, you remember that I used to get a headache and then your nose ran <laughs> and it, it it didn't stop you from talking and it didn't stop you from going to the playground and all that stuff no, and no. you know yellow snot all over. I remember that. The <laughs> nice thing about growing up the nice thing I gotta I gotta hold up. The nice thing about I gotta that's one of my kids. Like, the nice thing the nice thing about growing up in Chicago, all this all the seasons were there in the in the I, you know I I you know and we lived in we have very little we were lower middle class. You know, as I said my parents spoke pretty good English, but their basic communication was all otherwise they they Russian, Ukrainian, they had a lot of languages, Polish. And um, but in the summer we had a backyard that was big enough for to play ball in, play football in. And then in winter, by 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 Thanksgiving, uh, we poured water into it and we skated. Wow. So I was playing hockey all winter, you know, like a Canuck, and uh, not good, you know. But we skated. We went. And we 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 chopped each other up. And so it was a different world then. And we didn't have little leagues and all that stuff i mean i i did all those things i coached soccer for 15 years here wow i do all that obligatory stuff parents did but we did everything ourselves then and i and not not that this my kids are great they're perfectly out there they're 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 absolutely competent but um uh uh it was fun you you learn really to survive chicago's a tough place it was just fun, and and so uh, Kagan and uh, not Kagan, but uh, you know his wife and Blinken and 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 uh, the, this <laughs> Jake, they don't they don't they don't make they don't muss my hair one bit. I don't care uh, about uh, Arrogant, they're, arrogant, they're, arrogant. His, arrogant. His not going to be good to them. His is not going to be good to Newland for what she did in two thousand and fourteen because they we overthrew a government. Yep. And, that led to the, that's the core of this. And, and also, you have her quotes. You have her quotes bragging about the blowing up of the pipeline. Oh my God. The bottom of chunk in the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Can I tell you. Anyway. Um, Thanks a lot, man. Hey, man. Oh, by the cool. way, in
0: Chicago, I used to say there were two seasons in Chicago winter and August.
1: <laughs> Do you remember? I'll tell you what, there was nothing worse. I was working for City News. I had, a, I had about a 10 year old Studebaker. And the hawk, we used to call it off the lake. I, well, I, I lived in Hyde Park. I went. To, I got. I, you know, my father's family was on the south side. And we lived near the near the Lake Michigan. And the wind, when it was minus four in in by temperature, was minus fifteen. I spent every winter for about two years working working as a with that crappy car. I had to go out every four hours. And start it because if I if I slept from twelve to eight, even if I was hung over like crazy, I had to start. <laughs> would it, it. Would freeze. So I remember that's that's I got to tell you when you're twenty one or twenty two and you're 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 free at last. I'm not running the store. I'm, my mom's gone. You know I didn't know what freedom was. Um, my favorite book I always I wrote about this once was uh, the Auggie Adventures of Augie March. It was all about a kid in Chicago who wasn't making it like me. <laughs> and it was hardcore. You probably had much more money in your family than I did. Come on.
0: We There were five of us living in 2940 Hone Avenue in the Bronx, right off the Boston Post Road. And uh, wow. there were five of us with my brothers, three of us in one room, my two sisters in another room, and my parents in another room.
1: You did the same life. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Goodbye. I'm getting off. Thanks a lot, man. It was really great. Uh, It's an honor, and and thank you for all the stuff. I want to see that magazine because one. Yeah, put
0: you on the mailing list. Yeah. Uh, Again, you know, I I've been at this a lot of years, and and I put my heart into it. All right, good. I want to see it. Goodbye. Thanks a lot, man. Bye bye.